Bobcat fans. Support both your favorite team and Montana State students. When you shop at the student and faculty-owned MSU Bookstore, your purchase lowers the price of course materials for Montana State students. Montana State is in the midst of a historic year, and the MSU Bookstore has everything you need, from jerseys to garments, t-shirts to sweatshirts. You can also find the vast selection of Bobcat gear online by visiting msubookstore.org. Help students excel and look your best in blue and gold. The MSU Bookstore is your Bobcat gear headquarters. ESPN Missoula. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television. And we're just playing a bunch of trail jams today. Welcome back, everybody. Nuance Now ESPN Radio. Thanks to the uh, the Trail 103.3 Montana's Quality Rock for keeping us grooving. Uh, if you ever do change the channel from ESPN, you are allowed to change it up. Just one notch, 103.3. And those guys up there always playing great jams. Appreciate Robert and Mike and Tommy for uh, always keeping us entertained, and uh, keeping the music fresh. Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio, uh, Justin Angle in studio with us here uh, on ESPN Radio and SWX Montana Television, live in studio. Most of the time we record down at his shop there at the University of Montana Gallagher Business Building, but uh, he's here in the ESPN M studio, uh, MT studio, excuse me, with us. What's up, man? How you doing? I am doing well. It's good to uh, get off campus a little bit, yeah. Well, uh, first and foremost, speaking of getting people to campus, we won't spend too much time on this. I just thought it was so outrageous. There was a report about a month ago about the University of Texas and Archie Manning, who is the uh, the latest uh, Golden Boy quarterback recruit, and and some people are touting him as the number one quarterback recruit of the last generation. And part of that comes from his famous last name. Uh, he is the nephew of Peyton and Eli Manning and the, the grandson of, of Archie Manning Sr., mm-hmm. but... Uh, also, he's a dang good player, and he was part of a group of recruits that went to the University of Texas last June for a recruiting visit, and uh, because it's public record, it's a public institution, they got all the receipts, and uh, the grand total of the three-day trip in Austin, $280,000. The craziest part is that the next weekend, they brought in 14 guys, and it was $350,000, so they spent $630,000 in uh, the span of a month. Pretty deep pockets there uh, for the Longhorns. On the surface, it's like, man, that, this is a, a crazy amount of money. But then, like you put it in perspective, when we were texting about this. I mean, if you got it, I guess you, you just you just roll out the red carpet. I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a business expense. Sure, right, right. And, I guess it's it, a write off, right? Yeah. yeah. And if your business generates that kind of revenue and you can you can afford it, I mean, that's one of your that's one of your most important expenses, right? Is talent. Right, you got to get True. talent into the building onto campus, and if that's the kind of resources it takes to to do it, you got to spend it. And the thing that's interesting is, like, we'll read that story in the Athletic or wherever it was, mm-hmm. and you know, at first it sounds outrageous. Like, mm-hmm. I can't believe this number of dollars were spent on these kids and their families, and blah 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 blah. You know, somebody at Alabama or LSU or, you know, some booster at some big school is going to look at that and be like, well, we can outspend that and just write a check to that university's fundraising foundation. And then they will have it'll become, you know, now that this is kind of out there as a story, it'll it'll surely be um Kind of an arms race. It already is an arms race in terms of like the this, the experience of the recruits, but now we know put, can put dollar amounts on it. It'll have more dimensions of competition. Uh, that, that's a, actually a, a good point that I hadn't considered. Do you think Texas is mad that like the itemized, not not that the broad report is out, but that the itemized report is out? Because in this report by the Athletic, I mean they went through 
you know, this is what the omelet bar yeah. costs. This yeah. is what the, the night out on the town costs. This is how much the hotel rooms cost. You wonder, like, if Alabama's like, well, you know, we'll bring your family on a recruiting visit, and we'll even put you up in a $600 a night hotel. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if it does breed competition. You know, I think probably to some ex- extent, I, I, I would doubt that Texas is, like, happy that that information is out there. But at the same time, like, they got Arch Manning, right? They, they, they closed the deal, and so the spend was effective. And, you know, if, if people know how much the omelets cost, big deal, right? The kid, the kid showed up. Let's talk a little bit about the rivalry game. We've talked a ton about it already this week. We'll continue talking about it. But uh, Montana State, a resounding 55-21 to 21 win over the University of Montana. The Grizz did not force a punt in this game. The Bobcats rushed for 440 yards. Uh, it was the second largest margin of victory for Montana State, at least, over the Grizzlies uh, in the Big Sky era, which dates back to 1963. Uh, so a very long time, almost 60 years. And... Uh, Beyond that, though, Justin, I thought that this win for the Bobcats was more than just about the accomplishment on the football field. They garnered the uh, privilege of having College Game Day come to Bozeman. They rolled out the red carpet, and by all accounts, I thought they did a phenomenal job. I thought I, I was very worried about what what version of Montana would be sure. presented to the masses, and I thought they presented a, a pretty authentic version of Montana. They highlighted the the Bobcat rodeo team and. And downtown Bozeman, which certainly is evolving and growing, but but still has a quintessential feel to it. And they highlighted the campus, but also I thought they did a great job of highlighting the actual rivalry. And I thought the University of Montana got a lot of good uh, publicity out of this as well. But to have that moment and then to sort of embrace the moment and also win the football game. And now everybody is talking about, holy cow, this thing has turned. And Montana State, you know, you knew they had all this institutional momentum, but now it's accentuated on the football field. What do you think that does just from a marketing and and branding standpoint for specifically MSU? Well, it does a lot of great things. I mean, the fact that they were showcased on this national television program, I think it's estimated that about 2 million people watch for the three hours. That's a pretty pretty good return on investment there. And, And I think, too, that... You know, when you have that kind of exposure and lead up and then you perform beyond expectation on the field, that really can solidify a narrative. Like you look, take a look at last year, right? The Grizz won the Brawl the Wild, but MSU made this run deep into the playoffs. And that's kind of like, it's not an afterthought, certainly in Bozeman, but it's it's not as salient as the win in the Grizz Cat game. Now they get the win in the Grizz Cat game, they're, you know, in the final, in the top four seeds, yeah, poised to make a big run. They're sort of putting in place the things you do to not only build a successful program but build a successful brand. Right, the product is delivering to expectations, and as the product improves, the expectation improves, and you kind of get this flywheel effect. Another thing about College Game Day, it's estimated that in 2018, when College Game Day went to Pullman for the Oregon game, yep that that generated about a million and a half dollars worth of sort of, not free, but free marketing mm-hmm, in a way, mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. almost a billion impressions online. So you know, the, the numbers bear it out of how influential something like a game day visit can be to a community. I think that then also, just from an in-state perspective, it just gives you so many things to lean upon. Because if you lose that football game, then half the state could be like, well, you guys got game day, but you didn't win. Right. It kind of goes hand in hand. Uh, but more than anything, though, I think that also it solidifies the brand of Brett Vegan, which is a big deal at these state institutions in Montana because 
among the most visible and highly paid and powerful individuals in the state of Montana, for better or worse, are the, the head football coaches. And Brett Vegan, the one sort of asterisk on his resume was losing to Montana last year. Mm-hmm. And now you know, I, there, there's, it's always been the age-old question, would you rather win the rivalry or the national championship? And the Cats almost put that question on full display last year. They came up short against North Dakota State, but uh, Vegan had won every single game he'd played against the Big Sky opponent except his one time against Montana. There was a lot of rumblings uh, uh, around the fan base. What if this guy can never beat the Grizzlies? What if he can beat everybody else? And it shows you sort of the outsized importance of this game, which yeah. is, and to me, silly, but I understand why it does exist. It does a lot for his brand as well because now he's got nothing that people can ding him for, at least to this moment in time in his short time at MSU. Absolutely. He's he's in a great spot. And when you, when you when that comes to like sitting down with families and, and young recruits and trying to convince them that, that MSU is the right choice, he has just such great kind of legitimacy and authenticity with regard to that message. Like this is the place to come. He can make that argument. Now, certainly the Grizz will counter and put up their best arguments. But right now, Vegan's got a pretty compelling case. A business angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. Justin Angle in studio with us here uh, on Nuan is now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and uh, the ESPN MT app. Let's talk about the World Cup. It's uh, it's going. Yeah, it's, November. Uh, Here it is. Soccer season. <laughs> so for those wondering why it's in November, it's because if you don't realize this, uh, I say Qatar. Some people say Qatar. I'm going to go with Qatar. You can say whatever you want, Justin. Sure. But uh, regardless, uh, the first Middle Eastern country to host the World Cup, which in itself uh, is sort of a landmark moment. But for those that don't realize, it's between 125 and 130 degrees in Qatar in the, in the actual summer. Yeah. So uh, they needed to move it. It's still probably going to be hotter than blazes these next couple weeks. Um, but when this was first announced back in 2010, uh, it came with uh, a lot of, how do you say, reservations because sure. of a, a lot of different reasons. And, you know, the one storyline that was blown up Twitter over the weekend is that they uh, banned beer uh, at all the games just right beforehand. But that's, you know, that's sort of a, a funny uh, microcosm of what actually could be a, a much bigger issue just in terms of how this came about and also just the uh, the availability for resources for people to actually, you know, have a, a fun time in a safe environment at this, uh, at this World Cup. Yeah, on its face at the time, the, the announcement that... Um Qatar and Doha, the capital city, would get the World Cup. Um, when it was announced in 2010, it, it was outrageous. I mean, on a few dimensions. One, as you mentioned, the weather is not conducive to safe play at that time of the year. Um, Qatar has not an awesome track record with human rights. Uh, and you want these leagues and these institutions to kind of pr- promote a common sense of you know, what our society is about. And, and Qatar had not been up to the standard that you'd like to see a World Cup hosting country achieve. However, you could argue the same thing about Russia in 2018. So For sure. It's not clear that uh, that FIFA and the governing bodies are, are all, have all that uh, high, high degree of ethics. The other thing, too, though, is Doha as a city is not conducive to an event like this, like too dense. Doesn't have the stadium infrastructure. They had no stadiums. None. They basically had to build nine new stadiums in a whole new city. They had to build a new city for this, basically. And, you know, that comes with some interesting... uh, I mean, think about how long it's taken us to figure out this Bear Tracks Bridge. Those guys, (laughs) like, they built an entire city with nine stadiums pretty darn quickly. And... um, 
raises a lot of big questions about how that was done. I mean, certainly hugely expensive. I think the estimates are around $600 billion was spent on the preparations. Wow. But how was that actually done? Who did the building? Under what conditions? If, you know, they're building... Uh, during the summer, if it's if it's too dangerous to play soccer in the summer for ninety minutes, is it okay to be outside building a building in that in that uh, in those conditions? So a lot of questions about um, the labor force and, and how it was treated over the course of the last several years. Uh, Qatar is only two point eight million people in population. Uh, it's only the size of Connecticut, right? So I mean, this is a small country in both population and. In geographic size, so uh, certainly fascinating to see. And then you add a million visitors to the country. I mean, you imagine if you're in Connecticut and just a million more people showed up. <laughs> it's like unfathomable. Yeah, that, that there's a lot of density. That you know, does the infrastructure hold up? Does the water supply hold up? Big right. questions. Well, and there was the other things that were sort of blowing up social media last week in the lead up to this felt very like fire festival on a grandioso scale, yeah. right? Like the housing. I don't even know if you can call it housing, mm. like basically storage units that people can stay in. I mean, yeah. th- this could be so wild, and I, I don't really know how it's going to play out. And it, it really is sort of unfortunate because this is one of the great like global events that yeah. exists in the world every four years. It would be interesting. I, I've not seen reporting on this. Maybe you have, but what happens to these? Investments in infrastructure that happen in, in Olympic hosting cities and World Cup hosting cities. I mean, and this this seems to be the most extreme of examples of they built an entirely new city with nine new stadiums. Like ten years from now, what's going on in right. that place? Is it just buried by a sandstorm? Um, I spent some time in Athens in 2008, so that's four years after the 2004 games, and a lot of those beautiful facilities were shuttered. Right, and it's some of the prime real estate in the city, and it's sort of sad to see those those investments in making this super shiny presentation to the world, kind of just go by the wayside. You know, there's an ecological question about that, but also just the the sort of um, futility, not futility, but like short shelf life of these types of investments. It's so interesting too. It's a business angle presented by Blackfoot Communications, Justin Angle, uh, in studio with me. Coulter Nuanas. Uh, I think that's, well, Americans have a distinctly American view on almost everything, but that's accentuated in sports because so many of the best sporting leagues are in America. Mm-hmm. So we we are almost justified in saying, well, everything else is irrelevant because, you know, there is no basketball anywhere in the world that's as good as American basketball, right? I mean, embedded in that <laughs> is the assumption that these sports that you're talking about are the best sports that's in the right, world, that's, right? And that's right. And that's why I think soccer it breaks the brains of so many American Absolutely. sports fans because at, at the same time, it is a, a distant fifth, I would say, at the most in popularity mm-hmm. in America. We also, I think a lot of people don't gravitate toward liking it because... We aren't the best at it. <laughs> and, could be, yeah. And, and I think a lot of times our best athletes don't play it either. Yeah, I mean, you wonder if we could just go back 20 years or 15 years and and make all the great guys that are playing in the NFL and the NBA play soccer from the time they were five years old. What would our soccer team look like? I don't know. I think it would be probably pretty impressive. But, uh, you know, that's that's here nor there. I, I just uh, – it's so interesting to see the way that uh, this, this whole thing evolves with um, – our views of all of it. But when you talk about these big events, 
Like I, th- I think about Salt Lake City when they hosted the the Winter Olympics. Mm-hmm. They were able to take all the infrastructure and sort of remake it, and it's great. I mean, yeah, the ski hills are the ski hills, and Park City is awesome. And you know, they've turned a couple like the Nordic ski tracks into golf courses, and they've been able to use it. But you know, whether it was Rio de Janeiro or at, like you were mentioning Athens or you know, the the sites that hosted it in Russia. The, the the windfall moment that is hosting the Olympics or hosting the World Cup is a huge boon for the moment, but then almost seems like it can be destructive uh, retrospectively after the event is over. Yeah, I mean, you build all that stuff, and you gotta you don't have to, but you, you need to make a choice if, if you're going to maintain it. Like, you take a look at Salt Lake, and that was a complementary investment to the city, right? It mm-hmm. built out mm-hmm. facilities that the city could use, that the businesses in and around the city, that the ski areas, et cetera, could embrace, the university could embrace. And so that was a catalytic ev- event as far as um, propelling the city kind of in, into the future, I think key to that is that the allocation of the Winter Olympics to a place like Salt Lake makes a lot of sense. Right. Right. Putting the World Cup in Qatar makes no sense. Putting the summer the Winter Olympics in Beijing. Wasn't in Beijing last like that makes yeah, no sense. Right. Right. So like you, you, it, it comes it seems like all it comes down to is which city writes the biggest check right now. Yes. And if that's the case, we're going to end up with this continuing effect of, you know, the cities that host these events are maybe not the city that's the best for kind of the the enterprise and the the, the fan experience, well, and the player fall, experience. And then it falls into the, the conversation about the, the corruption of the people making these decisions, whether the oh, Olympic yeah. Committee or FIFA. I mean, it, it continues to become more clear that there is very little that's savory about FIFA. I, mean, I think that's well put. Yeah, <laughs> the, 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 multiple people on the FIFA board like are confirmed to have received bribes for mm-hmm. this event to go uh, to Qatar, and it is. Uh, it also seems though like there's not a lot of consideration for, as you were mentioning, how the infrastructure comes about. I mean, yeah. I, you, you sent me a, a fascinating uh, news snippet just about. The concept of the kafala, which is basically uh, indentured servitude at its best and, and modern-day slavery at its worst. Yeah. And that's how Qatar was able to build these these stadiums. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, estimations of, what's, what they say, 65,000 people that died in the building of these stadiums. It, it's uh, it's pretty crazy, the, the lack of, of human uh, care that went into transforming the infrastructure to make this possible. Oh, yeah, terrible. I mean, you mentioned the, the population size of Qatar does not have a population, um, a labor force that could build this type of infrastructure, right? So they're bringing in um, essentially slave labor from Nepal, Pakistan, India, uh, these adjacent uh, countries, and the reports are that these folks were treated pr- pretty terribly. You know, living ten people to a room, ten people sharing a, a, a primitive bathroom, um, really horrible conditions. Um, and as I mentioned before, they're they're probably working you know close to round the clock year round, so not much concern for the effects of the temperature and exposure on these folks. A business angle, Justin Angle in studio, the overlay between business and sports. Okay, last World Cup question before we talk about soccer broadly in a more happy and speculative manner. Uh, Saudi Arabia beat Argentina yesterday. Yeah, that was a big one. We've talked a lot about sports gambling. I wonder, do you have any gauge on what the, the uh, international soccer sports gambling scene is like? 
What was it like a twenty five? Twenty five to, to one, which yeah. is enormous. You know, if you were to actually bet that, you just wonder how many. Uh, there's a lot of people on the wrong side of that one. For would, sure. Uh, and then I did hear some scuttlebutt that, you know, Lionel Messi apparently has an endorsement contract with the Saudi government. So, oh, gosh. Know, I, I don't know what that means. Oh, and then Saudi Arabia is very close to the Qatar. And then, yeah. it, oh, man, this is getting hairy. I mean, if there's corruption at, 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 the, at the sort of organizational level within FIFA, it's hard to think about. It's not that difficult to think about how that could, could translate into the product on the field. Last question about this dynamic of of Qatar getting the World Cup. If it really does cost you close to $700 billion as a country, what needs to happen these next couple weeks for that to be worth it? Well, I think in this case, nothing needs to happen. (laughs) Because Qatar has the money to spend. Sure. Right. We talked about this with... You know, like when when a when a company buys a thoroughbred racehorse, right? They, they don't necessarily buy it as an investment. It's not necessarily a business decision, and you don't necessarily have to maximize return on that investment. Cutter's basically buying the publicity, right? And they're showing the world that they have all of this money and that they can shower these athletes with, you know, incredible treatment and incredible luxury and attract those sorts of people. And there's plenty of folks in the world that would look at those accommodations and that sort of living situation and say, oh yeah, I, I could use a piece of that and, and, and probably look another, look the other way on some of the, the human rights in a political dimensions that, that maybe aren't as important to them. The United States playing in the World Cup yesterday had an opportunity for a big uh, win in their first match, but ended up tying Wales one to one. But the uh, the Americans still have uh, I don't know at least what the pundits say seems like a, a pool in which they maybe are able to make some noise and maybe advance on. But that brings up the conversation that always happens during World Cup times, and that and that is what is it going to take for soccer? men's soccer specifically, because I actually would say that women's soccer in the United States yeah. has, has become internationally relevant. And in fact, you know, I mean, our women's team has won the World Cup, um, whereas it's like a landmark accomplishment to even get into the knockout round for the men. Uh, but it, you also, though, can see soccer. I do think it is becoming more popular mm-hmm. in America. I think parents are starting to realize um, a lot of the, the downfalls of, of football um, there's also, though, this sort of this machine that you and I have talked about before on this segment, this youth sports uh, industrial complex, yeah. and soccer is a big part of that as well. Um, but how do those two things go hand in hand? Just sort of the, the, the rising popularity of soccer in America and also uh, the United States and their competitiveness on this global scale. So with regard to the popularity of the sport um, from a fan standpoint, I mean, in the Women's World Cup, that was solidified in, what was it, 1999 when the women's right. team, you know, won the World Cup. That was like the first Women's World Cup that I paid attention to and the U.S. Mm-hmm. team won it. And mm-hmm. so essentially, like, oh, yeah, the, the U.S. women are the best in the world. And so it was an attractive narrative and Americans just flocked right to it, right? Uh, the men's team hasn't had that amount of success, has a much deeper history. I think it's going to take some kind of landmark win that has to be pretty close to the finals. They have to either make the finals or on the way to the, on the way to the, the elimination round, like knock off somebody really big, um, you know, a Brazil and England and Argentina uh, and really do so in a splashy way that has to, 
that they have to sort of have like a miracle on ice moment mm-hmm. in order to captivate the imagination of the nation and, and hold on to it. Um, when it comes to the popularity of the sport with you know young people and families, I think you're right. Like it is, it is growing in popularity. However, the system that we've constructed is highly privatized, right? For and sure. It does not, as you said, it doesn't attract the best athletes necessarily, although that's becoming less true as soccer is kind of developing a more diverse group of kids that are playing it. But the selection process is narrow from the start and you Mm -hmm. have to have, in the system we've constructed, you have to have a lot of resources to, to participate. And we have a system where if you, if you're not able to come up with those resources and make those sacrifices and participate at an early age and specialize, you sort of made to feel like you left behind, right? That you'll never be able to play for your high school team or you're never going to have a chance at getting a scholarship. And that creates a pressure to specialize. And I think it eliminates a lot of families and a lot of athletes that just aren't up for it at that young age. Uh, Last thing for you, Justin Angle here on Nuana's Now, a business angle. We've talked about the great disruptor that the Live Tour uh, is and will be when it comes to golf. And I wonder if that's on the horizon for soccer. If some big money entity or person comes to the table and says, we want to have a team or or two super teams from America that that play in the EPL or in La Liga or something like that, or, or if they can go buy, you know, we've seen a David Beckham, yeah, you know, come to America later in his career. Mm-hmm. We, Cristiano Ronaldo it just got released from Manchester United today. Does he end up in America? I don't know. But I could see maybe a big money person going and buying a, a player of that caliber when they're not on their at the end of their career but in their prime. Can you foresee anything like that, an influx of, of money that uh, shoots relevancy into American soccer? I mean, that's exactly what we're seeing with Cutter right now. They're writing these giant checks and yep. showing the world that they can write these checks. This has happened with the this is what happened with the Live Tour. For sure. Individual sports, so it's easier to pick off individual players. Mm-hmm. The trend in soccer has been for players to sort of age out of the more competitive leagues and find a lucrative retirement contract here in the MLS, right? I mean, with Beckham and maybe Ronaldo um, and maybe Messi, who knows? And what's this guy from Wales who is the best player on the field yesterday? Like, he's signed with the LA Galaxy, yeah, right? Yeah. And so Qatar or Saudi Arabia or some deep-pocketed country could start paying up for those players, could establish a league, could build that kind of infrastructure. There's no reason why it can't happen there other than the weather, but there are ways around the weather, obviously. So I I think that's very likely. And we talked about that possibility with the NBA being sort of susceptible to competitive dimensions outside of the NBA. I, I think the same exists for soccer, particularly when some of these countries can throw that amount of money at the problem. Um, they can create a lot of opportunity. Better or worse, money makes the world go round. That's why we talk about the overlay between business and sports here on Nuana's Now. Justin Angle joining us here on A Business Angle. Thanks for being here, man. Thanks. Have a great holiday. You too. Happy Thanksgiving to Justin and everybody else. Uh, on that note, there's no school tomorrow at the University of Montana, so our Grizz Star of the Week, it's got to be a day early because they're going to practice early. Usually we do it 5.30 on Wednesdays, but tomorrow they're going to practice earlier so the guys can go have uh, a little time, a little turkey day uh, gathering time. So, uh, Diari Todd, a senior for the University of Montana football team, former transfer from Michigan State, an all-academic performer, and the guy's been pretty darn solid on the Grizz defensive line. He'll join us next. Our Grizz Star of the Week coming at you. Keep it right here. It's Nuana's Now, 
ESPN Radio. For unquestionably committed coverage of Montana, Montana State, and Big Sky Conference athletics from a homegrown local source, you can count on Skyline Sports. The grassroots news-gathering organization is owned and operated by Coulter and Brooks Nuanas, a pair of Missoula natives and University of Montana graduates. For the best sports journalism in the state, you can choose to buy local when you choose to buy Skyline Sports. For $8 a month or $90 a year, you can get the best coverage available at SkylineSportsMT.com. Skyline Sports, every day, every season. ESPN Radio Missoula. What's up, everybody? Are you getting excited for Thanksgiving? I am. It's uh, it's so funny when you're a kid. You just uh, you, you love it, and uh, you also don't even know what your parents are doing back there. You know, you, like you know they're cooking a whole bunch of food, but you don't really realize until you're an adult just like how much work that is. <laughs> And then you grow up, and then you realize how much work it is. But then you also look forward to, you know, being one of the cooks in the kitchen. So I'm very excited for a little Thanksgiving holiday. And uh, we won't be on the air here, Nuanas now, on Thursday or Friday. But we'll be back at it next Monday. And, uh, of course, we will be uh, on-site in, on atten- in attendance for the uh, Grizz playoff game on uh, Saturday against Southeast Missouri State. In Grizz News, our Grizz Star of the Week coming up, Diari Todd will join us. He is a um, senior defensive lineman for the Grizz football team. A former transfer from Michigan State. And uh, a dude who's been solid on the field and uh, stellar in the classroom these uh, these last, uh, actually throughout his college career. He was an academic All-Big Ten selection three years in a row at Michigan State, and he was an academic All-Big Sky selection uh, last year, and uh, probably likely headed toward that again this year. And he's also chipped in four and a half tackles for loss and a sack and a half uh, as one of the, the uh, main guys on the Grizz front line. So we'll uh, get a preview of the SEMO matchup with him momentarily. But uh, in other Grizz news, congratulations to Allison Lawrence. She's uh, certainly one of our favorite People there at the University of Montana uh, always enjoy thoroughly uh, my time that I get to spend with with Coach Lawrence. And earlier today, she was named the Big Sky Conference Coach of the Year, the volleyball coach for the uh, Grizz volleyball team. She joins Dick Scott, who won the award in 1991 as the only Grizz coach to ever win the Big Sky Conference Volleyball Coach of the Year. Record-setting year for the Grizzlies. Uh, Montana, 17 wins. Won over 60% of their games for the first time since 1999. They have double-digit Big Sky conference wins for the first time since 2013. And they tied for uh, the the, uh, tied for fourth in the conference, excuse me, their best in the conference standings since 2010. That's all impressive accomplishments. But she also took over a uh, Grizz program in 2017 that had been just 13 and 41. And had missed the conference tournament the, the previous two seasons. So uh, a massive rebuild to be sure. She's done a great job doing that. And uh, University of Montana was definitely one of the best teams in the league this year. Paige Clark was a first-team All-Big Sky selection for the Montana volleyball team. And Carly Anderson, a second-team All-Big Sky selection. So 
Uh, there you go. That's your uh, postseason accolades for the uh, the Grizz volleyball team. They play in the uh, first round of the Big Sky Tournament tomorrow, 1 p.m. in Ogden, Utah, and they play against Sacramento State. Sac State came to Missoula and beat them in four sets uh, on November 5th. And they also lost in four sets to Sac State in Sacramento back on October 6th. So the Hornets did sweep the uh, the Grizz. But maybe that's a omen for uh, – it's it's really hard to beat a team three times. Uh, that's what they always say in sports. So we'll see. But we'll give you uh, updates on all of that as it uh, continues to transpire. Southeast Missouri State. The Red Hawks are from the Ohio Valley Conference. The Ohio Valley Conference has limited membership. So they only play five conference games rather than eight, like in the Big Sky Conference. SEMO, as they're referred to, won the conference's auto bid on a coin flip, which in itself is just such a Crazy way to go about <laughs> determining an auto bid to the playoffs and a conference championship. I mean, can you imagine? So, UT Martin, who played in Bozeman last year in the uh, FCS playoffs, they went 5-0 and in Ohio Valley play, and SEMO uh, went 5-0. and And I don't know how the heck you get to this point where a coin flip is what determines who gets the auto bid, but that's what happened. Excuse me. And, you know, good for SEMO, but I, can you imagine being UT Martin and being a senior on that team and needing the Ohio Valley's auto bid to get into the playoffs and having your career end on a coin flip? I mean, crazy. If the coin flip would have gone to Tennessee Martin, SEMO, who's a nine-win team, likely would have got an at-large bid to the playoffs which then also probably would have stolen an at-large bid to uh, from the University of Montana. So all sorts of crazy stuff happening coming out of the Ohio Valley. But uh, I'll tell you this. I've seen SEMO live and in person once when they were in Bozeman in 2019. And I also watched them in the playoffs uh, against Weber State the year before that. And both times I was impressed uh, with their toughness and their physicality. Tom Matakowicz is their head coach. He's been there for nine seasons, and he's a guy that comes from the Jerry Kill coaching tree. Jerry Kill uh, rose through the ranks, was the head coach at Northern Illinois, also the head coach of Minnesota. He's now the current head coach at New Mexico State, but a guy that has a lot of coaches in the coaching ranks, uh, sort of one of those dons of the coaching world. But uh, Matakowicz is a a guy that um, he's a defensive coach. His teams are hard-hitting and usually their their inside linebacker is a really productive guy. Uh, they had a kid whose name escapes me at this exact moment, but he was a finalist for the Buck Buchanan Award along with Dante Olson back in 2019 when the uh, Grizz linebacker won that award. So um, the big sky is certainly superior to the Ohio Valley for sure, but SEMO will be a solid team. And there's a lot of mystery with them coming in here because 
Paxton DeLaurent, who is a former NAIA All-American and a transfer in there to SEMO. He was great early, but he's missed several games with a, a foot-slash-ankle injury. And so uh, his backup, who's a freshman, Patrick Heitert, he is pretty good, but he's their, their team looks objectively way different stylistically with those two guys at quarterback. And Montana's not really sure uh, who those, uh, which one is going to come in here and play. Uh, they do have a really good running back in Geno Hess, who's a uh, a bruising back, a physical guy, 222-pounder, and a legitimate Walter Payton candidate. So SEMO uh, will certainly be um, up for the challenge as they come to Montana on uh, Saturday night. Still efforting Diari Todd of the uh, University of Montana. So let's take one more break, and then we'll have our Grizz Star of the Week on the way out. Diari Todd, coming up right after this. Keep it right here. Nuanas now, ESPN Radio. Grizz Nation's favorite outfitter is the M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. And now the M Store has a brand new location in downtown Missoula. Come check out the new storefront located on the corner of Higgins and Broadway. The M Store in Missoula has been your Grizz gear headquarters for more than 10 years, offering some of the most original University of Montana gear you'll find anywhere in the Garden City. Next time you're downtown, swing in. Come by the M Store today and wear what the Grizz wear. Or shop online at MontanaMStore.com. ESPN Radio. Little John Hyatt for you here on your radio dial. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Happy Tuesday. Short week for us. We won't be on the air on Thursday or Friday. So uh, hope you enjoy your friends and family on Thanksgiving or, or do something uh, to just take a load off and, and relax. That's exactly what we're going to be doing. I'm going to go to two Thanksgiving dinners on Thursday. Can't wait. <laughs> going to help cook one, eat part of it, go uh, sit down at another one, and then come back and eat some more. Why not? That's what the holidays are for. Nuan is now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Missed anything in the show today? You can always find it on the Nuan is Now podcast. Talked a ton of high school football. I uh, heard from Kyle Mahelish, the head coach of Helena Capital. They won the AA State Championship. Also heard from Florence Star quarterback Pat Duchesne. The Falcons, back-to-back Class B state champions. We also talked some World Cup, some Texas recruiting visits, and some uh, ESPN College Game Day with Justin Angle, a business angle. All of it on the Nuanas Now podcast, probably presented by the M Store uh, and the MSU Bookstore. Time now for our Grizz Star of the Week. We usually do this on Wednesdays, but moving it up to a Tuesday because of the uh, Thanksgiving week. Here we go to the Rangers Brothers RV phone line. Welcome in a young man that joined us a while back when he first committed to the University of Montana and now joins us again, it's Diari Todd. He's a senior defensive lineman for the Grizz football team. Diari, thanks for joining us, man. How you doing? I'm good, man. You? Good. First and foremost, uh, just take us through these last couple of years for you at the University of Montana. I know that you came from Michigan State and uh, had a great career there academically, maybe not the playing time you wanted. Now you've come to the Grizz. You've been a big part uh, of the defense these last two years. So, uh, what have you thought of just the transition to Missoula, and how's it been the last couple of years here for the Grizz? Um, that's a great question. Um, I think my transition here has been uh, it's been hills and valleys, but um, I kind of picked up on our defense after a year in the system, and then after that, you know, I was able to play faster, and um, now I put myself in a spot to where. I think of 
Um, I've improved a lot, and I have helped our team a lot. So that's uh, that. How would you just kind of describe your role? Because you're playing what, what they list as a defensive end, but as we know watching the Grizz defense, the defensive linemen, you're doing all sorts of different stuff. What were the biggest challenges in terms of picking up the defense and how you sort of just describe what your role is there uh, on the front line? Uh, that's a good question. Again, uh, I think the toughest part was uh, going from a 4-3 base defense to here um, to where here it's like I'm constantly moving, I'm constantly stunned. So, uh, so that was a big difference uh, for me because I spent four years at Michigan State, and it was more of like, you know, if I got the C-gap, then uh, um, that's my gap, basically. So um, it's it's been a challenge with that, but I feel like with my athletic abilities that um, I can do it, and I think I have shown that thus far. Derek Todd joining us here on Nuanas Now. It's our Bob Ward's Grizz Star of the Week. Does have a home game Saturday night. Southeastern Missouri State coming to town. And uh, because there's another home game, that means Bob Ward's in-stadium store will be open. So go check out all their awesome Grizz gear. They have plenty of cold gear for you there at the Bob Ward's in-stadium store. You can also always shop online, bobwards.com. How about just adjusting to life in Missoula? You are uh, from Lorain, Ohio, and also spent some time there uh, in East Lansing at Michigan State. What have you thought of, of just life in the Garden City these last couple of years? Uh, that was a big challenge for me because I'm a city guy, so um, I'm used to being around, like, you know, uh, activities all the time. But I think out here um, it's nice, really, because uh, it's not a spotlight out here, per se. Um, it's kind of open out here to where back home it's kind of clustered. So um, I I really enjoy that, and I also enjoy the nature um, aspect of it, and I enjoy the people here as well. Um, they have been uh, nothing but the best fans here, and uh, I will um, appreciate that. Well, the uh, the storyline for this Grizz football team is is just the fact that you got a playoff berth, and I know that uh, Coach Halk and the defensive coaching staff they always want you guys looking in the, into the present, into the future. So uh, we'll only ask you one question about last week. How motivating yep. is it to, to go through a loss to your rival and, and but then get new life and, and get into the playoffs? How do you sort of re, readjust and, and rebound from last week's loss now that you do have new life into the postseason? Uh, I just see it, you know, like have a new season. Really, um, at the end of the day, uh, it was a tough loss last week. But as a senior, um, I'm grateful that I'm still playing uh, Saturday. So uh, at this point, um we flushed that game, and uh, it's time to move on. So um, I'd say, uh, you know, it's a new season. So, Well, Southeast Missouri coming into town, and obviously now it's the playoffs. Everybody's good. Uh, but here we are on a Tuesday. I know you probably only had about a day and a half so far to look at the Red Hawks, but what do you see so far? I mean, when you look at Simo's uh, offense, what stands out to you? Uh, they have a good back. Uh, O-line's good. Um, we're going to have our hands full, but I believe in us, so um, it should be a good game for us. They have a couple quarterbacks. I know that their guy that was their starter for the first part of the year, he's been out lately, and, and uh, the other kid, maybe a little different style. So uh, 
what's it take to sort of comp- compare, contrast, and prepare for multiple quarterbacks going into this matchup? Um, it's tough at times, but uh, you know, um, our our coaching staff is doing a good job of having us uh, prepared uh, for all for all quarterbacks. So uh, we'll be ready. All right, Todd joining us here on Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio, as well as SWX Montana Television. He's a senior defensive lineman for the Grizz football team. This is our Grizz Star of the Week, presented by Bob Ward's Sports and Outdoors. Uh, last couple of things for you, then. First of all, what is the, the mentality that it takes for a group when you do have – I mean, you have a lot of seniors on defense, and so, you know, now yep. it's a, a win and, and move on and a, a lose and go home. So, um how do you sort of embrace that, uh, being that your football career, at least at the college level, is uh, now winding down? Uh, I think personally, for us as seniors and uh, myself, I think that it's a one-game basis. Uh, it's a one-game series um, each week, so I'm just taking one by one, and uh, I'm going to give it all I got along with my senior brother. So um, that's really all that uh, we can control. Well, last thing then, uh, just keys for you guys defensively and keys for the Grizz if you are to stay alive and, and move on in the FCS playoffs. Uh, the keys on for defense for us is stop the run, first and foremost. Um, stop the pass and uh, and uh, play physical and hard. So um, I think those are the keys that um, are a formula for victory. There you go. Jerry Todd, our Grizz Star of the Week. Thanks for being here, man. Best of luck on Saturday, and uh, maybe we'll catch up with you soon. But either way, thanks for being here today. Yes, sir. Thank you. There you go. Chris Star of the Week presented by Bob Ward's Sports and Outdoors. Go visit Bob Ward's headquarters there behind Southgate Mall on Paxson Street. You can also visit the Bob Ward's in-stadium store at Washington Grizzly Stadium. The Grizz at home, 8 p.m. kickoff, ESPN2. Under the lights, Southeast Missouri State coming to town to take on uh, Montana. You can always shop online as well, bobwards.com. Thanks to Bob Wards Sports and Outdoors for bringing you the Grizz Star of the Week each week throughout this football season. And maybe we'll have one more next week. We'll see. But uh, Grizzlies certainly at home will definitely be a favorite with the Red Hawks coming to town. He mentioned the running back. That's Geno Hess, and he has been great the last couple years. He's rushed for... 1,569 yards this year, 143 yards per game. He is third in the country overall in the total rushing yards, and uh, he's tied for the national lead in rushing touchdowns with Asher O'Hara, who's the Sacramento State quarterback who has 19 touchdowns. So does Geno Hess. He's 5'8", 222 pounds, so solid as a rock coming through the hole. So we'll see if the uh, the Grizz run defense can earn some redemption after uh, offering very little resistance last week against Montana State in Bozeman. Thanks so much for hanging out with us here uh, on Nuanas Now. You can always find all of the show uh, on the Nuanas Now podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe. Also, please get that ESPN MT app uh, in your life tomorrow. Sort of an influx lineup, uh, but we know for sure that we'll have Sam Herter, Hero Sports, joining us to break down the FCS playoff bracket. We also know for sure we'll have Bobby Houck, the head coach of the Montana Grizzlies, giving some thoughts on this upcoming game. We also know for sure that we will have Carolyn, the Chicken Doesn't Know Sports, swinging by for some laughs headed into the Thanksgiving holiday. And we're also efforting 
Tom Makutowicz, who's the head coach head coach of the uh, Southeast Missouri uh, Redhawks. So uh, hopefully that will happen as well, and uh, we'll also have some Montana State discussion as well. Haven't uh, filled in the spot yet on who's going to be our Montana State minute uh, guest, but we'll certainly have an update on the Bobcats as well as they are on a bye this week. And we'll talk some Grizz hockey too. All that coming at you uh, on your Wednesday. Thanks so much for being here and riding along with us uh, as you always do. We always appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to seeing everybody uh, tomorrow. We'll be back at it at 4 p.m. This has been Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio. Have a wonderful night. I am here with Catherine DeLands of The Advocates. If you've been listening to ESPN Radio, you're familiar and you know if you've been in an accident, the advocates can surely help you. What sort of expertise do you guys have when it comes to uh, any sort of personal injury accidents, things like that? Uh, it's all we practice. Uh, you're not going to get an attorney who's practicing family law or in court defending criminal cases. All we do is personal injury. We're a multi-state firm, but I'm right here in M- Missoula. So we have the backing of a large firm uh, with just years of expertise there, too. Free consultations. You can find out more by calling 406-640-4444 or by visiting online 24-7 montanaadvocates.com.